0: Movies and booze, I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Right, so what uh, movies will we be discussing today?
1: Uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie, which is a documentary, don't let the title fool you. And then Deadshot, which is this, uh, 70s set action thriller on Sky Cinema. Right, and, but it's an action
0: uh, thriller set in the north against the background of the... Yeah, film. I it's mean, that's kind it. of the
1: backdrop, yeah. So it's essentially about this, uh, retired IRA operative, uh, whose wife is murdered. Uh, pregnant wife, by the way, is murdered by, uh, paratroopers. Um, he then basically sets off on this revenge quest to get his own back on Okay, the so perturb- that's taken basically. that's the plot of Kinda, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like Kind of, yeah It's like taken slash heat kind of like it's very genre action thriller but like the backdrop is is that it's 70s London and there's like a bombing campaign going on so it's pretty it's pretty intense
0: Okay, and uh, three wines today we'll be talking about Yeah, it, Leslie? so
2: we've got a Northern Italian white pretty classic we've got a Chilean Cabernet which is probably the red wine most of us drink the most often given how much Chilean wine it sells in Ireland and then a Californian Pinot so all from MS. and Okay. Um, and if anyone wants to try them, there's this Eno wine machine. You can go and try little samples out at Liffey Valley Shopping Centre in MS, and which is kind of funky. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, well, so it'll give you... Like... Well, yeah, you just sort of... There's a little... You put a little thing in, and you push it, and it gives you a small sample. A little tasty you sample. You press a
0: little thing in. Yeah, normally there'd be a little... I mean, you've no, keen grasp no no, no, of the <confusion>. technicalities <laughs> of this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the,
2: normally there'd be a pretty girl pouring it out, but they have a machine there instead. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. It's <laughs> machinery just rubbing people... exactly. Especially
0: pretty girls, yeah, Yeah, who are just, you know, having a decorative role (laughs) in in men's lives. Uh, What is it, the world's gone to hell. So tell us about the writer's strike, Vanilla. What's going on there?
3: We're heading into week two. Uh, For anyone that's unfamiliar, there's this like ongoing kind of labor dispute over in the States between the Writers Guild of America, their labor union, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. They've been in negotiation since like late March. Basically what they're looking for is like better pay conditions. What they're saying is basically that streaming and the kind of advancement of streaming has meant that they're kind of being squeezed from all angles in terms of money. So like some of the examples, you are say, if you're a writer, you're coming on board for a TV show, much shorter, like lengths, even if you look at like The Last of Us, a recent example, that was only eight or nine episodes. Mm. Whereas if you compare it to something like Prison Break, I have that in my head, because I did a podcast on it recently, but that ran for like 20 something episodes a season. Uh, so, you're not getting as much work, and it's this kind of creating this like gig economy. Then there's also the issue around like residuals, they don't really kind of exist anymore. So, like, uh, Ashley Nicole Black is a writer, and she gave an example online around the fact that, like, obviously, Friends is a massive hit, Friends keeps being sold to networks, and those writers keep making money off Friends reruns and stuff like that. But with streaming, you know, the, the shows aren't really shopped around as much, and yeah. um, so it's all around kind of pay conditions and being being paid fairly and the conditions they're working under, like the the normal writers rooms kind of don't exist anymore, they're even smaller again, and they're just kind of being squeezed from all angles, uh, as I said, but it's affecting a lot of big shows, like billions of stock production, Severance, second season of Loot on Apple TV+, Plus, Hacks is a big one for Amazon, Cobra Kai and Netflix Stranger Things is coming up to its fifth season. And they've basically said they're not going into production until the strike ends, uh, which could be, I mean, as long as like 100 days. That was the length of the last strike in the 2000s that people might remember. Uh, And the longest ever strike lasted for 153 days back in uh, 1988. But I think fundamentally, it's just like, pay your people, pay your creatives.
0: But what does it mean, like, it's not like, they're all on strike in one place. There's multiple streamers and multiple production companies. Yeah. So, like, who do they talk to to kind of improve their conditions?
3: See, this is the thing, and like Seth Rogen is on the red carpet this week, basically saying that it's a, like essentially a disgrace that the streaming bosses make so much money from these shows and off the backs of the creative work that these people are doing. Um, and he was also kind of calling out the fact that streamers are so secretive about even how much the stuff is being viewed. Like you have Netflix coming out and they're not the only ones, everyone does it, but Netflix comes out and they're like, yeah, uh, most hours watched ever, like, queen charlotte bridgerton or whatever i don't know if that's the case but like any you could literally lob in any show there into that example but like they never release any of their data so we don't actually know um so that's yeah that's another issue that's kind of cropping up we don't know how much money they're we can assume they are
0: making loads of money
3: well look if the bosses are on like hundreds of millions of dollars like there should be some trickle down into the writers room you know what i mean because fundamentally they are creating the content that we're seeing, you know what I mean? Just because the landscape has changed, like it should reflect the work that they're doing. And right now it just doesn't.
0: Yeah, they'll have to like mean get new deals with Amazon and a new deal with Netflix and and so and, and And all the separate companies
3: yeah, gonna have that's the thing.
0: Negotiations at the same time, and so that's who- going to be
3: tricky then as well because, like, obviously they're all kind of doing different things and they're all kind of in different positions. Like, obviously Netflix is probably more popular than Amazon at the minute in terms of like viewership. Again, we don't know because they don't tell us, but that's the assumption they like to put forward. Um, so they're all going to have to come out with like their own kind of individual deals. It's like it's very messy, but fundamentally, I think it's just okay. pay people, pay people. And so they've been well. on strike for how long now? They were into the second week now. Okay, so. all
0: right. So it might go on for a while then. This could
3: go on for a while, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, none of the shows you mentioned are, I, I care about, so uh, I, well, I care. About, have to,
3: <laughs> I care about have to wait for something actually
0: popular. I know
3: a lot of Severance fans are very stressed as well. So you
0: know. yeah. Would well, they not have it written beforehand? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Whole, well, to production.
3: This is the thing. I think some of the things, anything that was written before May first, they're like, yeah, work away, whatever. And I think the Rings of Power, the Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah. They're they've continued shooting, but they've no writers or uh, uh, showrunners on set. Uh, right. but they basically said anything after that you can't change the writing on either it's like pens down so
0: Okay right yeah. okay so, but like the, on The Rings of Power, they actually have a script. They're not standing there going, well, what do I do now? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Not always the case, though. That's yeah. the thing. Like, a lot of those TV shows, like, they are literally writing and rewriting on set and handing them new things. Like, that's why, and that's the big thing about this. It's not even just for TV shows, it's for films as well, yeah. obviously. And that they will literally rewrite things on sets. Like, so, say, for example, if the director is also the writer as well, he's not working. Or if she is not working, um, but like it's this this won't end. This won't end until they make a deal. Like and like the thing of it is, is that it's going to like. I mean, the last time this strike happened, you had this big, huge influx of like reality television. Like, I mean, that's where like you know keeping up with the Kardashians came out wow. and all the rest of it. And the original one, that one that uh, Fanula was talking about in the eighties, that's where Cops happened. <laughs> cops basically was like a mid-season replacement because they just needed unscripted television. So that that's. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen now out as a result. I mean, there's already talk that like AI is going to be used to write a lot of these scripts. Like, and that's a thing. God
0: save it. And that's the thing,
1: though. But like, that's another thing that they're actually striking for as well. They want to actually make an agreement with the studios that they're not going to use a generative AI to write scripts. And that's already like, that's Disney have even said, "Eh, I don't know, maybe, you know, like, we're not going to, we're not going to tie our hands by, by doing this, like, you know, and like, you can be guaranteed if they can. Uh, not to uh, if they're going to screw out people, they're going to screw writers as much as possible because they just can't. They're easy, like they're they see them as ten a penny, you know. Mm. And like if we can get an AI to do it, why not? Like mm. we we'll have to pay an AI. So are we looking at if this goes on, there'll be like
0: it'll just seize up, say, movie production.
1: There'll it is no seizing mo- up movie production already. Yeah, like Marvel Studios have put uh, one film, Blade, um, they, that's been basically shelved because they can't get the scripts finished on in time. Um, And you know, Gladiator two, that Ridley Scott one with Paul Mescal and all that, that's already in jeopardy now. So like it I mean if it goes on for any longer, yeah, it is definitely gonna have a knock on effect. So this time next year we'll be back in berg just doing booze (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll take I'll take the (laughs) ball. See? (laughs) I I can stay at home. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Speaking of, uh, let's uh, tell us about our first wine today. Liz. Okay. So the
2: first wine is a Suave m Classics range. So the MS and um, they have a whole range of classics and they have a found range as well. And this is where they try and seek out um, specific wines from specific regions that people might want to, People may have read about, but you know, they'll try and find a really good example of it. So Suave is a village uh, between Verona and Vicenza. Uh, so uh, Romeo and Juliet would probably have drunk this, I would say, you know, for their fish. Course maybe yeah and then maybe I like had, that like, well, so underage <laughs> drinking was yeah, well, commonplace. No, place no, that, you know, wasn't? Obviously things were easier going yeah. in those days, you know. Um The grape is Garganega. Um, uh, sometimes you get another grape called Trebbiano di Suave, but that's also Verdicchio.
0: Impressive. I, Give I,
2: him a I, round of applause. Yeah. Just the same. <laughs> that. that was really. You've got to practice your Italian, yeah. uh, your Italian wine grapes. Um But yeah, Garganega. Like, it's J R G and EGA um, and uh, so floral kind of tropical fl- scents and so on but always this lovely zingy freshness there was a time in the 80s when Suave was this sort of thin boring wine but they've really upped their game in the last few years and there's some just some good ones I was in a restaurant last night and there was the most expensive white on the menu was was a 95 year old 95 uh, euro um, uh, suave so like it is a, a quality region um, and if anyone's visiting that sort of Venice Veneto region it's uh, it's a wine you should be looking out for but anyway, my Spencer had this for eleven twenty-five or something, which is really okay. good value, you know. What restaurant did you taste? Like did you all night? taste? What do you all think? Nice and sort of light and zingy and fresh, and like finding wines that are drinkable and have some flavor and are fresh like this for under sort of fifteen is getting harder and harder. Yeah, so, you know,
0: yeah, so. it is indeed. So, what restaurant were you in last night? Uh,
2: I was in Greenbound Wines, uh, um, and they have a. a, a so Green Man Wines is in it's a wine bar, um, really, really good wine bar. Uh, actually, yeah, it's also a few hundred yards from my house, which makes yeah. <laughs> I can sort of stumble home. That's just um, a snapshot into Leslie's. Yeah, line. yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I tell you what I was having. I, well, you know, I had, I had um, Scotch egg, right, which is really, really right. good with sort of soft boiled egg inside it. There was a um, courgette roasted with uh, dried, uh, cured egg, Garlic crumbs and banya cauda miso sauce. I'm telling you, it was just stunning. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was great. It was great. Crikey! Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, for the rest of us, <laughs> if you want to a afford master. a dinner
0: like that? Ah, <laughs> uh, you could <laughs> do worse than win the cash machine. <laughs> How's your day going
1: so far? So far. So far, so. Successful. Everyone knows you Parkinson Parkinson's like, when they see you walking. They're like, oh
0: yeah good. Stop and
4: reset. Good. here we go. The walking thing really freaks people out. Oh look. but won't hide it from you know, and, and, and and you can do it what you will. If you pity me, it, it's never going to get to me. I'm not pathetic. I, I It's shit
2: going on. <laughs> I'm a tough uh, son of a cockroach. I've been through a lot of stuff. You can't kill a cockroach. Can't kill a cockroach. Nice and slowly, nice and slowly. There you go.
4: Beautiful. Hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> Good. Stop and reset. Mr. Fox. That All right, yeah, okay. Thank you. Nice to meet
2: you. Sir. Nice to be you. You
1: know on my feet. <laughs> that was
0: uh, that was still a Michael J. Fox movie. That just at the end there he, he falls over. That's uh, that's why there's a little uh, pause there. It's a documentary, obviously, yeah. about Mike. Is it? It's kind of sounds like it's more the story of how Michael J. Fox, kind of separate from the park, or maybe because of the Parkinson's diagnosis, learned to stop being an asshole.
1: Pretty much yeah, I mean that's pretty much it because I mean like he peaked very very early like family ties People forget if anyone remembers that show from the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, Johnny Mathis um, But the problem with it was was that like he got that quite young He was like 1920 and he was everywhere and he was massive and then he did Teen Wolf and then he did back to the future So like by the age of like 21 22 He was like the boy Prince of Hollywood and in the documentary like he's very open about the fact that he was sleeping around that he was partying all the time. He was out on like Sunset Boulevard with like Rob Lowe and Judd Nelson and all those guys driving around and Ferraris and all the rest of it. And that when he meets his wife, Tracy Pollan, who was in like, I think the last season of Family Ties, that's when it kind of, his life started to kind of become a little less chaotic. But, you know, like he was diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's in 1991, which was pretty much right at the cusp of his career. Mm. and. Again, like in the documentary, like it's so unflinching. Like he talks about that. Like he basically became a high functioning alcoholic because he just wanted to disassociate himself from the disease. He didn't want to remember it. Didn't want to think about it. Um, and ultimately, he, when it got to such a stage, that it became so degener- so progressive, that he couldn't act anymore and he couldn't hide it anymore. That he then had to kind of look at himself and look inward and try kind of deal with his problems and deal with this disease and ultimately reach a place of acceptance, I guess you know, because like it's very again like it's very very like really cuts to the core of him. Like it's not trying to be the sort of like you know hagiography, you know, like how great he is and oh like isn't he so kind of like inspirational and all the rest of it. It's not really that. Like he does talk about the fact that you know when he was on spin city for example like he hid the thing from everyone for seven years and he would like pick up pens and play with stuff and he'd be like kind of like juddering around the place and kind of getting up and walking around just to try hide the fact that his hands were shaking or that his knees were locking up and the only reason that he spoke openly about it was because again he just couldn't hide it anymore you know so mm. yeah yeah is he is he still acting does he a bit a yeah. bit like i mean there are a couple of clips like from when he was on Curb Your enthusiasm and again i think that's the very funny thing about it is that when he was on if anyone knows the show Curb Your enthusiasm with larry dev it's brilliant he plays himself in it, and there's a scene in the in the documentary from that show where he picks up a, a bottle of Coke, and his hands are shaking, and then he hands it to Larry David, and he opens it up, and he sprays it. He's <laughs> like, "You <laughs> stuck that on purpose?" He's like, "No, Parkinson's." <laughs> and like, it's stuff like that, you know. Um, but yeah, he is still acting, but not quite as much anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so, it, it, so it's kind of it's a biographical documentary. It is, stuff? yeah, it's
1: biographical. But I mean, it uses like it uses all his films and his TV shows in a very kind of interesting way. Like, you know, there are parts of it where he talks about the first time that he noticed his uh, his baby finger moving, and there is recreations of that where he's like again it's very well done like but i mean it's just him in a him in a, a hotel room after drinking the whole night with woody harrelson and huh. it's done in a very kind of artful. and then when it talks about how he was constantly moving around the place and constantly wouldn't wouldn't sit still it uses like footage from like mars attacks it uses footage from back to the future it uses footage from doc hollywood or the concierge where he's like running around the place and you realize He's like, almost like Tom Cruise. Like he just, every time you see him in a TV show, he's like running as fast as he can like. And he's, yeah, I suppose in it, Symbolic
0: sense, trying to run away from the disease. Exactly, there we yeah. go, you see. Well, you there. Now, is this... It, it, uh, you were saying before we came on air, you reckon this will get an Oscar. I no. would
1: not be surprised if this got an Oscar, an Oscar, because the guy who directed it, Davis Guggenheim, he did uh, An Inconvenient Truth, An Inconvenient Truth, what's in my mouth? An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore, and yeah. he did another uh, documentary called Searching for Superman, which was about the public school system in America. And both of them were nominated for Oscars. I think he won for An Inconvenient Truth so yeah i would not be surprised in the slightest if this was nominated i wouldn't be surprised if it won yeah but it's on apple plus tv it is now you can see it in the cinema if you want it's ah, in the right. palace cinema in galway and it's in the lighthouse cinema up in dublin so yeah if you want to go to either of them you can see it it's right. worth seeing it in the cinema okay
0: because people listen might go oh it's about you know no not at all depressing. yeah you think it's
1: all misery guts no yeah. not at all no not at all like it's very like he's very funny like he's one of these people i think that when you see him talking naturally, you can absolutely get why he was such a huge star and is a huge star because he's very, very charming. He's very, very funny. He's so quick. Like that bit when he fell over and he says to the woman, oh, you knocked me off my feet. Like that's so like, <laughs> yeah. that's so quick, like, you know, that kind of way. And like, he's so irrepressible. Like, But again, completely honest, like there's a bit in it where um, in one of the documentaries where he talks about like he fell and hit his face off a chair and he's got this like big shiner. And like they're literally dabbing the, the makeup on. He goes, look, enough enough makeup. Like I'm like I'm however many years old. Nothing's gonna help me anymore. You know what I mean? Like mm. kind of joking about <laughs> it. Like, so like it's it's very unflinching, but it's not. You don't feel bad for him. You don't feel sad for him. You don't come out of it kind of. You don't come out of it feeling bad. You come out with like a big smile on your face. I loved it. I thought it was great. Okay, fantastic.
0: Uh, so, uh, tell us about our next wine Leslie.
2: Okay, so um, Ireland—I don't know if uh, I've mentioned this before—but we are the um, massive consumers of uh, Chilean wine. One of the, in terms of per head of population, probably some one the, of one the largest in the world. Twenty-seven percent of all we drink um, is from Chile. So, um, and we just love Chilean Sauvignon and Chilean Cabernet. They're the, kind of the two that sell best. So this is called—can uh, get to have a look? No. Casa, sure. casa, sorry, Casa de Colores. Cabernet Sauvignon. So, and what what makes Chile so user friendly, I think, is the wines are really fresh. There's a zing about them. We think of Chile as like a you know South America hot place, but that Pacific currents that run along there, the Humboldt current and so on, it's really quite cold. And like I've swum in the Pacific over there, it's not something you want to do in the daytime. Like at seven o'clock in the evening, it's just about bearable. Um, But it is. Perfect for growing things like Cabernet. So, if you think about where Cabernet Sauvignon is originally from, which is Bordeaux, that's a temperate climate with lots of rain and sort of cold Atlantics and so on. So, the, the Chilean Pacific climate almost mirrors that almost completely. So, this um, has, and, but this is, is a little warmer over there, a little warmer than it would be in Bordeaux. I mean, the average temperature is the same, but they get warmer days and colder nights. Um, so, it's, um, there's a lovely sort of chocolatey blackcurrant thing going on there, I thought. There's some nice sort of dark red fruits in there that I like. Um, um, it's Central Valley, so you're just south of Santiago. Um, so Central Valley includes um, the Mole, the Maipo, sort of the ones you people would have maybe heard of, um, It's yeah, I'm a fan of Chilean wine, I mean, I'm, we, we, we do get a little bogged down in, in buying only the. The classic grapes, the Cabernets and, and Sauvignons, but there's a grape that they grow that almost nobody else does called Carmoniere, which is an ancient Bordeaux grape that still lingers on. It's a grape called Paix, P-A-I-S, hmm. um, which old vine versions of that are really interesting. Old vine um, sansos, Carignans, these grapes that aren't really, I mean, they're they're not that interesting when they're new grapes, but when they are 20, 40, 50 years old, as Chile seems to have, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, and, and Marks and Spencer's is just a really good place to, This is 14, so I think this is really good. Mm-hmm. I can also mention it's 13%, which is part of the cold climate thing, that it, we're increasingly finding wines at sort of 14, 15%, which people are just find too much. A bit too much, the, yeah. The 13 is, is, is a sort of a magic figure, it's, it's, that, it's that what wine used to taste like and what Bordeaux still pretty much achieves, 13, 13 and a half. Mm. When so. did you go swimming in the Pacific? Um, I was in Christmas, believe it or not, because, today, i to explain, there's a town called Navidad, Christmas. All right. <laughs> and I was... Uh, um, in I, what uh, country? In, in Chile? In Chile, on the Pacific coast. And it's uh, it's uh, like, I opened my the back door of my little chalet and there was a beach and then there was the sea. And and, uh, was that like last Christmas? No, it was, was it it about four Christmases ago. Yeah, it was no, like about last 20, Christmas. No, about 2016 or so, you know, about four, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was there on a wine trip, yeah. Um, the nice people at Saint Peter. Right. Well, you were you there on Christmas Day? No, it was, it was about the 6th of December or so, yeah. So it was coming approaching Christmas, and it was warm, because that's their summer. And uh, and yeah, so I went swimming that evening in the... Cause I just had the idea of swimming in the, in the Pacific. Mm. So at 7 o'clock in the evening, and it was it was cold, but it was refreshing. It was lovely. And I thought, great, right, the next morning I'll do that now as well, because we don't one more day. And so I got up, I was up at 8 o'clock, and I went, Went out to the sea. And, oh God! I didn't get more than about ankle deep before I ran back. Sure. It,
0: it, and is Navidad like
2: Santa's grotto? Kind it, of it, of that no, I of wish. No, it's just a, that's the name of the town. Navidad. You know, Feliz Navidad. Yeah, oh, that yeah. That's <laughs> and that. that's the name of the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if, uh, yeah, I just I don't I don't know why. Even it was a kind of a little resort town, but we were staying it was lovely. And we had uh, wine tasting on the beach and barbecue on the beach. It was very nice there. You know, yeah. The, the, the yeah. perils of being a wine journalist. Yeah, yeah, terrible. You know, you yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, Ellie Fanning uh, 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 lost a a role because she didn't have enough followers on Instagram, is that right?
3: Yeah, apparently. She did a a podcast this week, a podcast interview, she's promoting uh, the new series of The Great, which is supposed to be very good, but I actually haven't watched. It's her Nicholas Holt. But anyway, she's doing a lot of promo around it, and there was a lot of conversation around pressure she might feel as an actor to kind of get get in on the big franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, DC, all them to kind of stay relevant in the industry and all that, and she was saying that she doesn't really feel yeah. pressure to join the franchises, but she said that she had auditioned for a franchise, she, or a franchise movie, I should say. should not say what, obviously, but said she auditioned and she got feedback after that she didn't get the role because she didn't have enough Instagram followers at the time. Now, she has like 6.7 million now, which means there's no hope for any of us in this room to be in a Star Wars by that logic, but. Yeah, I don't think she's that bothered, but it's just like an it's interesting marvel, story. Yeah, I think yeah. it must be a marvel. I would imagine. It sounds like very marvel. Ex- yeah, I can imagine them having the phones up, being like, "Will the will the will the kids be interested in this with these numbers?" I don't think so. They're not adding up. So,
0: so actually, being able to act doesn't really come into it that much. No, no, you just no. need
3: just buy a few bots and you're sorted. Yeah, Oscar for you. Squeeze Here into you, a thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: right. So a couple of movies that we're gonna get. Uh, um, to, to, version 2's of, there's a Beetlejuice 2 coming. Beetlejuice 2, I haven't seen the first Beetlejuice, is that really bad? Well, you're probably in your mother's womb at the time. That's I wasn't really alive, <laughs> guys,
3: it's fine, I'm very young, i need like to restate that. I will watch it now, um, but it is coming back, the second one, Beetlejuice 2, uh, September 6 2024, it actually opens on the same day as... Blade, the Marvel movie you mentioned earlier. Well,
1: that got, that, that got cancelled now, didn't you?
3: Oh, so they've put... okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, bye-bye, Blade. Uh, Beetlejuice 2, September 6, 2024. We don't have a lot of information around it, but uh, Michael Keaton is coming back as Beetlejuice. Winona Ryder is coming back. Uh, Jenna Ortega, who we'll have seen most recently on Wednesday, she's going to play Lydia Dietz's daughter. Uh, Justin Thoreau is in it. We don't really know a lot around his role. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is coming back, and uh, Monica Bellucci is going to play Beetlejuice's wife. So a lot of excitement around that online from what I've seen.
0: And there's going to be a Freaky Friday, too, as well.
3: Yes, which I'm very excited about. Okay. Uh, this is Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis reprising their roles as a mother and daughter who wake up on Friday and find they've swapped bodies, hate that. Uh, Elise Hollander is doing the script. Made a lot of money back in the day, like $160 million globally. Uh, and it was based on Mark Rogers' uh, 1972 book and has obviously kind of spawned its own kind of genre. Like Body swapping in itself, but this would make, mark like Lindsay Lohan's kind of first big actual like theater movie return because she did that awful Netflix Christmas one, Falling for Christmas, and she's a few other terrible Netflix ones to follow. There's one that's set in Ireland. That's something about I'm assuming Falling in Love in Ireland. I would imagine that's usually mm. how most of these uh, yeah. movies go. Yeah. and um, But yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis has been very enthusiastic about it, Said so she's always asked about it on yeah. Halloween promo trails and stuff like that. So. Isn't
0: that interesting though, the way their uh, respective careers have gone since yeah. the original movie? Yeah. Whereas maybe at the time it was kind of, not really a break for Jamie Lee Curtis, but like it was hooking her into a different market. Now she's given Lindsay Lohan.
3: Yeah, and Lindsay really. Lohan was at the height when this movie came out. Like this was, she was kind of untouchable in some ways in terms of the genre, so yeah. But I don't know what they're gonna do. Like who, they, who do they swap with now? Do you know? They already swapped with each other. So what's the plot of this one?
0: But don't they get each other? back? No spoilers, but don't they get each other back? Get back they do get
3: own? each other back. So, they, so then is it what, like they're permanently swapped then? I All don't right. know.
0: It, maybe it happens again.
3: Bringing the daddy? Yeah, but the, yeah. The I don't know. But d- with the dog. Yeah. Oh, yes. They get swapped with an animal. Yeah, maybe. We're getting think. mega freaky now, Leslie, yeah. I think. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Honest, hey, yeah. Well, they've no writers. So you might as well come up <laughs> with ideas. <laughs> That's uh, a good pitch. I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good elevator pitch. Uh, right. Uh, the, uh, the hashtag, by the way, was uh, Midlands movies. Now there's millions of them. Doctor Strange and the Multifarnum of Madness <laughs> is one. Uh, another one is Mulan Gar. A lot of people Uh-oh. remember. And uh, uh, Jermud Deegan uh, is in the audience. Where's Jermud? Just stick your hand up. There you are. Good man, Jermud. Uh, Jermud uh, asked us just to say a happy birthday. His family have three birthdays today. His dad, his sister, and his nephew,
4: uh, uh, Michael, Murrah, and Fabian. I, uh, yeah, how, how, come, how come they all have birthdays on the same day? I know, it's pretty kind of weird, but yeah, basically my dad is... My dad, Michael, is 79 today. My sister, Murray is 37 and my nephew, Fabian, is 27 today.
0: Right, okay. So,
4: yeah. And so, do they
0: usually celebrate the birthdays together? Is it like a oh, mad night in your house? Yeah,
4: literally, when I go home after today, I have to go home now and make bake a birthday cake for the three birthdays, and we'll have a big night tonight, so... Yeah. Are you the baker in the family? I'm the baker, the cook. I love to cook, I love to bake, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, fantastic. and will you be having so, to do in, in, like, where will you be having to do? Well, my,
4: my brother-in-law, Pavel, he turned the garden shed into a bar during COVID. Nice. Right. So the party tonight is in Crinkle uh, in um, Hawthorne Drive. So, and you're all
2: invited. Yeah. That's all. Yes.
4: so yeah, he, he literally turned it like, Pavel, he's a Polish chap, but he literally turned into an Alchabine. So everyone's welcome, uh, yeah, so bring your, bring your guitars, bring, bring your wine, bring your beer, but most of all bring your cheer.
0: Okay. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully, no guards are listening to this particular. Uh, <sighs> I know, yeah. Uh, we've, we're going to give you a few bottles of wine, Gemma, to help you along oh, the way. Oh, that uh, would be uh, brilliant. This evening as well. Yeah. So, happy Cheers. birthday uh, to all
4: Thank guys, you so much. Friendly. Thank you.
0: We do have to take uh, a break back in a couple of minutes.
2: McGill and Miller, they were Belfast, BIRA. And they've been giving London a taste of the troubles since the spring. a, a week. Random targets, department stores, restaurants, nightclubs. he was shot on his own doorstep. Assassinated in broad daylight in the United Kingdom. The country's not seen bloodshed on this
4: scale since the war. Number 10s had enough.
2: They want to fight back, on their terms, dirty. Like the filthy animals they are. And given that our boys aren't exactly equipped for this kind of business, We brought you in.
4: Any more questions? Did you just call us animals, sir? You are animals. But you're my animals.
0: Mmm, mm. okay. Not very PC language there. No, No, but this was the 1970s. Everybody reeked of tobacco
1: Yeah, everything yeah. was like burnt brown from like smoke and then like everyone's drinking a lager and there was the recession And it's really grimy and like cars are all crap. Yeah, I mean like I will say like well They were they were terrible. Like, everyone driving around in Granada's like Um but um yeah, so this is a uh, dead shot It's set in like 1975 predominantly set in London. Um, What it follows is is, uh, this IRA operative, Colin Morgan, people might know him from Outlander. Um, He's basically tried to leave the IRA and he's taken his wife to the hospital to give birth to his child. He's intercepted by uh, Amal Amin, who you saw there, or heard. Um, He uh, leads this uh, patrol out and shoots up the car that he was just previously in, that his wife was left in, and she gets killed. He gets uh, transferred to this secret MI5 unit while the IRA guy basically is taken in by uh, Tom Von Lawler, who people will know from Love Have, mm, when He played Nidge, yeah. Um, he then gets nursed back to health and he's taken back into the IRA and he's sent to London to lead this bombing campaign, which then kind of sets the two of them on a collision course together. Um, it's like 89, 90 minutes long. Like It's very, very quick. Like It really does to keep the action going, bam, bam, bam. and. You know, when it's like this, like it's a real kind of like action thriller, there is always that kind of tendency, I think, to you know, you're kind of making I'm not necessarily making light of something real, but there is a kind of an element of sensationalizing it, you know. And I don't think this I don't think this has it because it's based on the script uh, by a guy called Ronan Bennett. Who's from the North. Yep. Who's from the North and yep. was in fact actually uh, imprisoned, wrongfully imprisoned in Long Kesh in nineteen seventy four for the murder of an RUC inspector. So like the, uh, the directors, the guard brothers, they wrote the script as they based on his screenplay. But there is that kind of uh, veracity to it, like it is very, very authentic. And I think the performances as well from Amal Amin and Colin Morgan, like they look like crap, like you know what I mean? Like no, but they really do. Like like the, like the guy Colin Morgan, like his eyes are all like sunken in his head, and Amin, mean, like when you see him running around the place and like shooting up things, like he looks genuinely traumatized, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, and. But it, it's not like saying anything about no, Northern like, Ireland or no,
1: no, no, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that, like, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I think is because it does completely cleave away the socio political climate of the thing. Like, it really, it, like, they don't even mention MI five and they don't even mention the IRA. They call it like the organization, you know. And I think it's to kind of get at the fact that these two men are just not driven by ideology whatsoever. It's just purely revenge, like it's blood for blood, you know. And I think that's. Yeah, good i mean that that it kind of distills like something as complex and nuanced as the troubles down to just two men who are out for each other i think that's good but it does it simplifies it in a way you know mm. what i mean like there was another uh, film a couple of years back called 71 i don't know if anybody saw that where it was about this uh, british squaddie that was left behind um in belfast and he's basically running full tilt to get back to his barracks and that did the socio-political elements of the troubles way, way better than this did. But this is still very, very good. Like it's very well acted. Like the action is fantastic and as well. Felicity Jones is in it as well. People would know her from Rogue One. So it's enjoyable. It is. I mean like it's like I said, it's like ninety minutes long. Like if you're in the mood for like a really taut thriller, this is definitely worth the watch.
0: Yeah. Because I guess Hollywood has done a few movies where ex IRA man is.
1: Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like I mean, like there was obviously like the long Good Friday with Bob yeah. Hoskins, but then you had like the terrible. I don't know if anybody had ever seen this. There was a remake of Day of the Jackal with Richard Gere, where Richard Gere played an IRA man, yeah. and the accent, accent was un- is, is like nails on chalkboard. Yeah, it's terrible. So yeah. like I mean, there are great I uh, R A adjacent films. And then there are absolutely terrible ones.
0: Yeah. I wonder now, yeah. I wonder, is it too soon to be kind of using? A
1: bit. Yeah. It's a bit to be using it in a kind of a genre fashion like this. Yeah. yeah, It's a little bit like, I mean, I went into this quite reticent. You know what I mean? Like, it's really like, really? We're doing this now, like this? I mean, this is, you know, this could all kick off again. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those English, like, what are they up to? Like, you know, (laughs) those Protestants, like, always up to something. Sorry to that English guy up there. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, like, I mean, but it is like, I mean, it is still, it is still fresh in people's minds. Like, I mean, yeah. I remember my dad, like when he worked up in the North for a period in the 70s, like he got like interned for like a day. Like, so like it happened, you know, and people remember it, like, it's very fresh, like.
0: Yeah, what was it, why was your dad interned? He was
1: working for Irish Rail, basically, and like it got stuck, no, he was, they went up for, uh, the Jew as well, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it happened, like, and my dad was like, my dad.
0: Now he worked for Irish Rail or he was interned or both? <laughs> He worked for Irish right, right, but you yeah, weren't. So in you insurance. know them, no.
1: the OTM drivers were sent up in the seventies to help uh, to help NIR, yeah. And my dad was sent up with a group of lads and like they they basically got stopped at a British Army checkpoint and like they had to like call down to Conley to Houston to check that they're all legit. Like yeah. So, yeah, it happened, yeah. That's mass. There you go. Yeah. That's what it was like then,
0: and it, and that was that was probably a long distance call, but you know, Oh yeah, yeah. down to Conley in those days.
1: Yeah, be waiting. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like that's it. They were like kept in an army barracks, like until like somebody like picked up the phone in Conley and told them, yeah, that's all, like it's all legit. Like, yeah. So. Yeah, if you had a phone, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you yeah. Had a phone.
0: Get your own radio show. here.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy, I'm up here. I get yeah, the mic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, actually. Kind of similar time period, I suppose, but there's going to be a Frankie Goes to Hollywood biopic.
3: Yes, uh, it's based on Holly Johnson's memoir, uh, Bone in My Flute, and it's titled Relax. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what was it? <laughs> a Bone in My Flute. Right. <laughs> it's a musical <laughs> reference, that obviously. Uh-huh, guys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. guys. Got it. <laughs> guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's titled Relax, obviously, after their hit single. Uh, and Callum Scott Howells is going to play Holly Johnson. So people would know him from, Well, I would hope they'd know him from It's a Sin. Uh, one of like the best shows I've seen over the last several years, kind of uh 80s set follows the AIDS crisis. He was like the breakout star of it. Mm. Colin, I won't say any more if you know, you know, devastating. Um, yeah. So yeah, but the the thing about them is obviously, the. I didn't realize this, the band like obviously kind of broke up in the 80s. They've had this fight before, well, this is the rumors, they had this fight before this gig in Wembley. And they only got back together this week and performed at the, they did a song at the Eurovision in Liverpool. It was the first time they've performed together since then. Like, so yeah. uh, Universal are their label and they are like supportive of the biopic as well. So we'll get the actual back catalogue. It's not gonna be one of those weird Bowie jobs where it's like, there's no music or the music's kind of really weird. Um, so yeah, very excited. About there that. wasn't
0: that, that, that much music really. It was like, no, it, I think it had it about was three like, hits.
3: away or for them. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean. Well, Pleasure Dome, like that was a big album. Like, and then there was, that. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> like, <I don't> <laughs> there was there was two tribes yeah uh, and their songs like yeah, oh, yeah they had, like yeah they had pleasure dome they had um the power of love power of love the power of love yeah
0: of love. was that all from the same album maybe i'm wrong Probably, then yeah. yeah wasn't there a fella in frankie goes to hollywood who didn't do it and that was all the rage Dance then guy, yeah. they just danced yeah. yeah just some like random but that was like bro- pretty-
1: bras i think were kind of guilty of that as well aren't yeah they? yeah and like millie no you're thinking of millie vanilli no, but Mitty no. Dolenz just mined. Yeah, he
2: wasn't an was actual musician.
0: Yeah, no, but bands would have just one geezer well, who, Fla- Fl- who may or may not have been their drug dealer, who just right. danced on stage with them. Yeah, like Flavor Flav. Like Stone Flavor just Rol- just yeah. With, yeah.
2: Just with the clock on him. Do you remember? Yeah. and then Flavor Flav with the clock in Public Enemy. Mean, he just—that's all he did. And he, he
0: didn't. Wait, well, He, well, he didn't told that. them what
2: time it was, obviously, but he would have, you know, made some musical contribution
0: as well. Did he? Yeah.
3: Yeah, he's a rapper.
0: He would have done some rapping. Oh, yeah, okay.
3: Maybe he did. I yeah, no, no, he's the whole flavour of love. Do enough. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. True. Flavour of flavour. Yeah, flavour of oh. yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, well, I suppose we'll see. we'll see what that's like. Right, we will uh, take uh, another commercial break. Back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Brian, tell us about our third wine today. I'm Brian. <laughs> oh, this sorry, I don't drink. That's sorry yeah. Brian. I'm not sure. Brian Brianula. <laughs> okay, I thought I might mix it up, but um, <laughs> it's okay. I It's you, red. I really do have it. It's a a red.
1: <laughs> and it smells fruity.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, fruity's good. Um Coppersmith Pinot Noir uh from California. Um so uh, Pinot Noir I, I I maybe heard me a couple of weeks back, um the original Burgundy grape, it's uh, it's it's this classic grape that only really grows well in Burgundy. I mean it grows elsewhere, but it's at its perfect best there, but it costs a bloody fortune. Um, anyone who saw sideways the movie will know about the um, the obsessional nature of Pinot Noir can can generate in people. And, yeah. Um is that the
0: thing though? Do people there's some there, there, like...
2: if you get into Pinot Noir you kinda get lose yourself in it almost. It is it is there's something about this sort of i mean, they used to say about Burgundy many years ago when ten pounds was a lot of money. They used to say to get a good bottle of Burgundy, you need to spend hundred pounds. And it's not that you're buying one at of hundred; you're buying ten that cost ten pounds. Nine of them are awful, and one of them is that one that's actually okay, and that's pretty, that's Gosh. amazing, and it's kind of life-changing. Um, now you could say a thousand, and you need to spend a thousand to get. I mean. Burgundy's is more, more consistent now than it used to be, but, but look it's it's just it's a grape that is very thin skinned, doesn't grow out well outside its own environment, needs very specific climatic conditions, and they're only really available in a few places. so I mean the the Williamette valley in oregon um, the the coastal regions of of um, of California can be brilliant, but sadly, there is nearly as expensive as Burgundy. But California can do it well because, again, of this cold Pacific climate. Um, if you think about the fog in San Francisco Bay and the fog that kind of comes up the Californian coast, the California Current, as well as the Humboldt Current, which is a bit further south, that, they, that basically creates this fog and damp conditions, which is really good for for not overheating and overcooking the the, the, the Pinot Noir, which needs this sort of long, slow growing season. Um, Baden in Germany is good for it as well. Um, um, Tasmania in Australia, if you think about Tasmania being significantly cooler than um, um, than, than the rest of Australia, um, Mornington Peninsula again, a sort of a colder bit of Australia, uh, parts of New Zealand, Central Otago in particular, um, so it, it, there's these very specific places, but this is a really drinkable example, um, it's, it's, you'll notice the colours a lot lighter, again thinner skin as they say, which give you a lighter colour, um, there is a sort of a chocolatey thing, I mean look, it, it is quite fruity this, is quite warm, it doesn't have the sort of subtleties you would expect in a, in a 100 euro burgundy, but that's not what you're buying it for. You're buying it for that sort of fresh red fruit character, that liveliness, that, 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 that sort of drinkability. And it is a wine that can be drunk a little cool, so it works well at the stem of the year. Um, it, it is, it's, a, it's a grape that um, works well with kind of duck. In fact, if anyone, you know people talk about wine and food matching and is it all hmm. nonsense? And yeah, a lot of it is nonsense. Very few things conflict, right? There's, there's many things that work well, right? But very few things conflict, because there's a whole plethora of things. Like every single wine region in the world has Cows, pretty much, and they all think that their red wine goes best with beef, you know? Yeah. They, like it's not like you can, you know, and the same with lamb as well. But having said that, if anyone wants to really test this, does food and wine matching work? A, raw, a rare duck breast, cooked rare, um, so it's still pink, with a glass of good Pinot Noir. Honestly, there's just something magical in the way that they transform each other, and it's you, you create this third thing that's that's separate to both the wine and the and the duck, and it, it, it's this sort of magical third extra thing that's created when you, mm. you drink the two together. You know? Do you have to have both things in your mouth at well, no, the same time? No, no, time? you can actually, you know, because the, <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want. I mean, yeah. look, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge, but uh, uh, but no, in theory, you, you eat one and then drink the other, and they and they just sort of change as, 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 you know, one changes the other. You know? What right.
1: have you used it as, like, a, a red wine broth? Because, like, I cooked yeah. like a roast, uh, with like, a lamb roast, and I used, like, Tortuga, like, Portuguese uh, yeah, yeah. wine for it, like, and it was great. Like. No, absolutely.
2: And I think that, that uh, the, and the, I think we should care about what red wine we're throwing in, not just throwing in any old red wine, you know. Um, and that beef bourguignon, of course, typically uses burgundy, but nobody's going to be using €35 Euro burgundy to make their beef bourguignon. Um, but I, I do remember um, Decanter magazine did a test where they, they took all these classic. Dishes and use like two hundred euro wines and and then twenty euro wines to see did it make a difference and in some cases it did and in some cases it didn't it kind of depended you know uh, but going too expensive usually was not the right idea somewhere in the middle was was your sort of best bet you know.
0: yeah so, okay yeah.
2: Uh, and people can taste these
0: uh, in, in the it's the enomatic wine tasting machine uh, in a, in the MS store in the, uh, Liffey Valley uh, the uh, the third movie we'd like to start now we don't have a clip of this one unfortunately but it's called Crater yeah. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. It's actually interesting. I don't know if the directors ever realise this or not, but it's all about kids and like, you know, quiet you know, like though. Ah, kids. right. Okay. Yeah. It's nothing to do with that. Okay. But um, so it's set in the future on the moon. Um, It's about a group of kids who hijack one of these lunar rovers and decide to go out in search of this crater on the moon that uh, one of them, their father, told them about that it was a really special place and you should go visit it before you leave uh, the moon because they're all about to go off to this planet called Omega, which is going to be this new colony. Um, This won uh, the Blacklist in 2015, and if you don't know what the Blacklist is, it's essentially this competition that's held every year in Hollywood to Uh, selected the uh, 10 best unproduced uh, scripts of the year. And these are like scripts that have been written on spec, but haven't been sold and haven't been made yet. And this one in 2015, and it went through like a load of different kind of like development hell cycles and all the rest of it. And now it's kind of been dumped on uh, Disney Plus. And it's a real shame because it's really interesting. Like I enjoyed it a lot. Like it's kind of like, imagine like Stand By Me if it was set on space. Okay, yeah. That's that's the that's the pitch right there, and automatically it was like, okay, I'd watch that. Um, I suppose like the most well known person in it would be uh, Kid Cudi or Kid Cudi, yeah, Kid Coody. yeah, yeah. okay. Kid yeah. Kid, he's a rapper, and like this is his his, his uh, screen debut. He plays uh, one of the kid's father. Um, it's, I mean, the acting is a little bit kind of like Smell the Fire acting in certain places, like it's just where they're just kind of like somebody says something. What does that they go, mean? It's the thing from Friends. It's like when somebody says something, they go. Mm, okay, like, like that. You something. know, yes. it's like they're just yes. kind of like doing this. It's a thing, um, and like the you know, some of the kids are not great actors. I know that's bad to say about child actors. I mean, maybe they'll get better. I don't know. Like yeah. the kind of <laughs> the kind of Grace is in it. Uh, she was in that, um recent Ghostbusters uh, film of Paul Rudd. She's good in it, um, but like it's <laughs> yeah exactly. She's <Yeah. laughs>
4: okay. It's terrible.
1: Yeah, it terrible. But I um, know I enjoyed it like I mean like it's one of these like kind of mid-range budget films where it was made for like 50 million And that huh. no, that's that's class as mid-range nowadays because yeah. like you look at like, you know Avengers or fast X and it's like 250 a quarter of a billion like you know Yeah, so like 50 million is considered mid-range for films nowadays Like and then like the smaller films are made for like three four five million, you know? So uh, yeah, it's enjoyable. I mean, it's it's good for kids. I think adults might get something out of it. I wouldn't be rushing to see it, but if you're looking for something that you know, like the whole everyone can watch tonight, this is definitely worth a go. Yeah, does
0: it have like Stand by Me? Is like the it has the. Feet. Oh, it doesn't have a dead body. No, no, no. no does not have has a dead body. The, the
1: feels and,
0: and you know.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, that yeah, like, the kids are, like, you know, they're all, like, abandoned together, and, and, yeah, and they're hugging and crying by the end of it, and, like, they learn something along the way. Like, it's, it is, like, it's basically, like, stand by me, like. Okay, what, what is there any particular reason why it's on the moon? Future? Crater? I don't know. Like it's yeah. oh, well like I mean like earth has like you know been obviously been ravaged by like you know climate change and all the rest of it. All right. Okay. And they're on the moon because like the moon has been turned into a mining colony now. They're mining helium 3. That's kind of a common trope in sci-fi. So, yeah. Okay. All it's, right. It's it's worth a Sounds watch. It's, all right. it, it's grand. Like it's three stars like it's fine like yeah that. like it's like i said like if you want to watch something with the kids give it a go yeah
0: somebody actually somebody on twitter wanted to know leslie have you seen drops of god Oh, it's on apple tv uh, uh, no to it. my
2: shame and it's ridiculous because i actually wasn't i i had covered a couple of weeks back and i did nothing but watch bloody television and apple tv the way the algorithm is it never shows you new you stuff you've got to go looking for specific things um but i know about it it's a it's a manga comic that rang for about about five years in Japan. and uh, I mean it was brilliant because it, 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 this, the premise, if I remember correctly, is um, a really famous re- French wine courtie dies, leaving 150 million euros' worth of a cellar, and he's going to give it to his estranged daughter if she can correctly identify wines in various taste tests against his Japanese protege. And the Japanese guy is all, it's not his culture, but he's learned it in, a, in the way that only Japanese people can. And he's very studious and so on. And he's quite kind of cool guy. And, uh, but, and you know, she re, you know, is interested in wine, but feel gets ill when she drinks it. And there's this sort of taste test. I gather the movie, the, the, the series is slightly, um, it's, it's loosely adapted from the book. But the manga comic, and I've read bits of the manga comic, I, I don't have the whole set, but I've, I've, I've read it, bits of it. And it's brilliant. It's just brilliantly written. And it explains everything you ever want to know. If anyone wants a crash course in wine with a bit of manga, it's perfect. It explains vignerons and it'll take. Chassin Moracher and explain the subtleties of that versus Le Moracher, which is the hill at the top of the road. Um, and it, it, it is it is really good and it, it drove wine sales in Japan like substantially. For That's mad. Year. That's a yeah. mad thing to come up with. It's a is. comic. It isn't really it? is. Mm. Um, like the comic publishers the, in
0: Japan, somebody rocked into them and said, yeah. I've got this great idea. Yeah.
1: They really do it, go it, for believe it. That. Or not, like, exactly yeah. yeah, like it's so like the like the comic industry yeah. in like Japan is like so massive.
2: So this is real life, by the way. It's not cartoon, and, yeah. and they've loosely adapted yes, but it, but yeah, it, so yeah. I, I read about it when it was due, but haven't actually seen it yet, but thank you to her, that lady for, for calling because I, I, I need to look, I need to look. Next time I'm on, I shall review. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's going to be an
0: uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. Yeah. I, mean, I know, I mean, like, who cares? Who uh, cares? Not, what do we not know already about him?
3: Yeah, well, apparently not enough. A uh, three-part Netflix documentary, it's coming very soon, it's actually going to land on June 7th on Netflix, and uh, it'll feature his friends, his foes apparently, this is from the official blurb, co-stars and observers cover everything from his days, pumping iron to his triumphs in Hollywood. Not, I don't know if I'd be rushing to do this, but interesting though, he's also doing uh, a TV series, his first TV series with Netflix as well called Foobar. So he's a, I think that's how you pronounce it, Foobar? Yeah, Uh, Foobar, yeah. A CAA operative on the verge of retirement discovers a family secret and is forced to go back into the field for one last job. That sounds like you got AI to come up with. An Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. TV show, you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: you should follow him on Twitter, where he's uh, fixing um, potholes and things. What? Yeah, there's, there's a there's a clip of him fixing potholes in LA. Yeah, but the, the pothole wasn't <laughs> wearing wearing a watch worth about fifty thousand. But there wasn't that <laughs> yeah. wrong with
0: it. The thing is, there was like there was a famous documentary called I think it was called Pump and Iron, like it was yeah. made yes. a million years yeah, yeah. ago yeah, yeah. when he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah, and it, that, that was I like, got launched him. Yeah. yeah, that
0: made him a star because it mm. showed how bright he was, and like a lot, like, Lou Ferringo, who was. Uh, went on to star in the TV series of The Incredible Hulk was as dumb as a bag of hammers, <laughs> <laughs> and every day Schwarzenegger would would say, oh, "You're looking a bit fat there, Lou." Uh, and I'd say, oh, what? <laughs> uh, so that was yeah. So, yeah. like everything's been documented at this point.
3: Yeah, and then I'm just like, is it a bit of imagery rehab, like with the stuff in his personal life and stuff like that, and the extracurriculars and all that jazz? I don't know. I it's I wouldn't be I wouldn't be rushing to watch this, but there's. An for I know it, Bill so. Bird is a very
1: good, Bill Bird, the comedian Bill Bird is a very good uh kind of bit about Arnold Schwarzenegger that, like, you know. That he's like it's it's funny, like he calls him like this great man, like it's in like he looks and sounds like the furthest he should have gone would be like unloading a truck in Transylvania, but like you know, think of anybody other person who would have come to a country, uh learned the language, married into what Kennedy. is effectively yeah. their royalty, and then become a massive star. Like how many tries would you need to do it at an Arnold Schwarzenegger manager? I'm not like his all the other stuff he did terrible like a hundred percent, but like I mean it's it is incredible That's like the life that he's now. done like so. Okay. I would watch that. I'm just just
0: saying yeah. like i'm not okay. a
1: Schwarzenegger
0: fan. okay Sorry. yeah yeah thanks to uh massive schwarzenegger fan brian lloyd there <laughs> uh, also to fanula and leslie because uh, that's pretty much uh, the end of our time here today at uh, the Birth theater and art Aww. center uh, so uh, thanks to all you audience for coming along today for being such a fantastic audience thanks to Marks and spencer
2: movies and booze on moncrief on news talk